Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Hey friends, today I'm chatting with Mike and Karen Nelson, co-owners of Junior's Roasted Coffee and Gilder Cafe in Portland, Oregon. I met Mike and Karen back when we all lived in New York nearly 10 years ago. Mike used to teach barista classes and I would help lead small breakout sessions. But now the duo own a roasting business and a few retail spaces, including a cafe inside the famous Portland bookstore Powell's Books. Seems like all this would keep them busy enough. But over the last few years, Mike and Karen have been working on an idea called the Cost of Production Covered, a multifaceted project that aims to quantify exactly how much money it cost a farmer to produce one pound of green coffee. It seems easy enough, right? Unfortunately, data on how much it costs to produce coffee is scarce, and coffee is often sold without regard to the cost and labor it costs to grow. Instead, other metrics have been used, things like the sea market, which is a price determined by the stock market in New York, or by quality measures. A coffee that quote-unquote tastes better often garners more money. But experts looking at the coffee industry have known that coffee is in crisis and that many farmers aren't making enough money to cover their production cost. And yet, there have been very few initiatives to try to figure out exactly what those costs are and how coffee buyers can pay for coffee so that farmers are actually making sustainable wages. Mike and Karen have been working on this project for years. You might even remember a 2019 episode where we recorded a cost of production covered event. Now they're joining the show to talk about a new template that they've released that helps coffee buyers and producers work together to determine production costs. The template, it's open source, meaning anyone can use it. And their goal is for more coffee actors to use this data. It's one thing to say that you're paying high prices for coffee, But that number falls flat without context, and a so-called high price doesn't matter if it's not covering the cost of production. Just a quick note on this episode, I edited the audio within an inch of its life. It downloaded strangely, and some of Mike's audio got weirdly clipped, so I apologize if it sounds funny, if I sound funny, if any of us sound funny in here. I did a lot of cleaning up work, but... I do think this is actually a really great episode to enjoy via transcript, since we link to the template and have screenshots and visual assets to share. So if you want to look at that, that's at bossbarista.substack.com. Here are Mike and Karen Nelson. I'm thrilled to have the two people that I have 
on the show, and I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourselves. My name is Mike Nelson. I am co-owner of Junior's Roasted Coffee and Gilder Cafe in Portland, Oregon. Hi, Ashley. I'm Karen Nelson, and along with Mike, I'm co-owner of Junior's Roasted Coffee and Gilder Cafe. I'm really thrilled to have you both on the show, both because you have been doing incredible work with your roastery and some of the projects that you've been working on, but also because I've known the two of you, I realized for almost 10 years, which is wild, (laughs) but let's go even further back than before when I knew you folks. Did either of you grow up with coffee in your life? I was, I grew up in Utah where you couldn't drink coffee. And so I grew up with coffee as like this mystery, but my parents would give me coffee ice cream like secretly. So that was my exposure to coffee. And so when uh, my family moved to Oregon, I just instantly started drinking coffee elsewhere and thought that barista culture was the coolest thing in the world. What about you, Karen? And for me, I think my earliest memory is watching my grandparents make and drink instant coffee. And it was always with a cigarette and always in formal China because they were drinking it after dinner. So you folks own a few cafes in the Portland area. You have a micro roastery and you have recently launched, I don't even want to call it that you launched this project because you've been working on this project for so many years, but you launched a template called the cost of production covered, which helps pretty much a lot of people across the supply stream figure out how much does it actually cost to produce coffee. And there's going to be a lot of context that I want to talk about. We have this project that you folks have been working on for a long time called the cost of production covered. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how this project began for you. And we'll talk a little bit too about what cost of production means and and all these kind of like nuancy little pieces of the supply stream that might seem obvious, but actually have a lot of depth and nuance that we need to uncover. Yeah, the project for us started in Tallahassee, Florida. I was in a doctoral program at Florida State University. I was going to be looking at what climate change and this coffee disease were doing to what it was doing to coffee production in Costa Rica, but I needed empirics. I needed data. I was introduced to Chad Trebek, who at the time and currently focuses on production costs for producers. And I was put in touch with Chad. We had a chance to talk. And I realized that this could be the metric for my research, looking at what climate change and coffee leaf rust were doing to producers' cost of production. Long story short, I mastered out of that project so we could move back to Portland and grow juniors. I didn't want to lose all of that research, so thought that we could have it be the our principles for green coffee buying, serve as our kind of foundation cost of production, that is. So look at what it costs a producer to produce a single pound of green coffee and have that be the quote-unquote minimum price contract price in our purchase. Yeah. I'm glad that you defined what cost of production means because it's a phrase that I think 
we throw around in the coffee industry because we talk to each other and we have the same base understanding. But I want to go back to that moment when you realized that this was like a metric that maybe wasn't as easy to find or maybe could be a metric for your research. What did it mean for you to kind of come up, like realize that, oh, like this is maybe a metric that's very poorly understood? Yeah, it is still misunderstood. And I think that when I started looking for data in grad school, I couldn't find any anywhere. I would occasionally run into countrywide reports, huge aggregations of large farm data, but that was it. And it was pretty, it was scarce. So I knew that if I was going to keep doing research on this, that it was going to be a long road ahead and it was going to have to be all of our own research. So basically what you were saying is that you were trying to find out more information about how much it actually cost farmers to produce coffee. And basically that data was like few and far between. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And roasters, green buyers weren't talking about it much. And that's not to discredit anyone that had, if I, it's not like I, I know everyone in the industry and it's just, it's really tough to find. And so I have, I, had worked in the coffee industry. I've been working in the coffee industry since 2004, 2004, and worked for companies that focused on quality-based metrics mostly. So look, basing coffee prices on how good a coffee tastes, how high it scores, plus other specialty coffee association uh, specifications. But that that's where I was coming from. And this, to me, seemed tangible. And it seemed objective. Right. That's a good point. So I want to go backwards on what you just said about quality being pretty much one of the standard metrics, specifically in specialty coffee. Like you kind of see that talked about everywhere about how specialty coffee almost differentiates itself based on quality. And then that idea of quality, this coffee is better than this one, being used as a way to quantify what that coffee is worth. But what I think is really cool about this cost of production project that you folks have been working on for so many years is that you say things really plainly, like a coffee that scores an 84, coffee is scored between zero and 100, a coffee that scores an 84 took just as much labor to produce as a coffee that scores an 86, an 87, an 88, an 89. And it seems like the labor that it actually takes to produce coffee wasn't being considered at all. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, that if we're using those quality-based metrics alone, uh, you know, we've worked with the farm for X number of years, and we're, we know them so well. We buy their coffee through the good years and the bad years, and it always scores an 86 and above. So we pay this price, which is, in air quotes, high. But what if that farm all along had been selling at a loss or just breaking even? What if their cost of production was high? What we're experiencing from time to time is that, you know, like you said, lower scoring coffees, even 80, geez, 82s, 83s, sometimes in those cases, their production costs can be higher than an 86. And I think that this is a very uncomfortable conversation to have because Roasters who have been talking about these relationships and how much we value them have to 
at least in this case, we're saying folks should take a good look at those relationships and think about how we have these um, values-based conversations with our customers. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that idea of relationships, because I think along with quality, that's one of the kind of central tenets of specialty coffee is that you pick up any bag of coffee and it's something about the relationship that we have with the producer, the way that we work with XYZ farms. And these are good things. Don't get me wrong. Like building relationships is really important. But what does that actually mean to build a relationship as opposed to kind of using the words relationship? And not to say that roasters are are using this incorrectly or whatever. I don't want to put anybody on blast by any means. But like really digging into that word, what does it mean to build a relationship? What does it mean to actually work with a farmer long term and say, we're sourcing this coffee in a way that's sustainable and realistic and actually works for you, as opposed to it being a one-way relationship where like I'm sourcing this coffee from you and it's great and I get to tell your story, but like I'm not actually ensuring that the other part of the relationship where I am actually taking care of you is happening. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. I think what I think it started making the most sense to us when we opened the cafe, to be honest, in 2017, the first cafe, we were roasting coffee for a couple years before that. But with the cafe, really got a sense of what it's like to run a business. And for us, I think that the connection was really made once we started thinking of farms as businesses too, right? Thinking of farms as vendors. If we knew that our dear friend, Sam, who provides us with this chai, if he was operating at a loss because of the price that he was receiving, wouldn't we want to have a conversation with Sam, right? In the same way with our producer partners. Right. And if you even look at you folks own a business, you folks own a few cafes, like you know the cost of your goods. Like you know that if a latte costs you four fifty to sell, you know what the cost of goods are to make that thing. Like the coffee costs this much, the cup costs this much, the rent on our space costs this much. So you can predict some of those overhead costs. But then when we go backwards on like the thing that makes it all essential, coffee. And we're saying to producers, we're going to pay you based on quality, but we're not actually going to consider what it costs to produce this thing. It's like we would never do that in our own businesses. So I think that that's a really interesting framework to be like, these are all businesses. Like we're all operating business to business. Yeah. That to to have it be so arbitrary, I think is, well, it's exploitative. It's really, it's really dangerous. For us, I think that cost of production becomes a an objective metric. It's a it is about business. Right. Like the cost of your cups is an objective metric. The cost of your lids is an objective metric. Right. Yeah. And in order for a business to continue, it has to profit. I want to talk a little bit about how you were able to implement some of these ideas into the cafe at first. Because like we said, this has been an ongoing project and it's been something that you folks have done in kind of multiple formats. I remember you folks released a comic book about this topic. You had like signs in the cafe that I think the Wi-Fi password for a long time was asking me about the cost of production. I don't know if it still is. And you've hosted different like 
talks or events where you bring in producers, you bring in importers, people who will all have a stake in this project. But for you, like, how did you start implementing it yourself in the cafe? I just want to make the link back to how the project started from a research perspective. We wanted to have this research be shared with our community and also be created with input from the community. So it was important for us to have a two prong, like the research happening behind the scenes and then the marketing or the education campaign with it. So we wanted to involve people in this project through, like you said, the the Wi-Fi password. We basically did a tour. We did like a four city tour meeting with other roasteries and baristas talking about the project. We had the comic book and that was a way to engage with art to and like a really accessible art form for our customers to pick up and read while they're standing in the line to order. And with everything that was going on behind the scenes, we wanted to match it with something that was happening externally with customers and then other people in the coffee community. Yeah, that makes sense. And it seems like behind the scenes, you were using this as a way to inform the way that you, essentially the way that you sourced coffee. Yeah. Any chance we can get, I mean, with the Wi-Fi password, we we build in this cost of production into trainings with staff, which admittedly, it's a really difficult thing to talk about. It's not as easy as saying, well, this is direct trade, which means we pay more or we pay more for coffee or we buy this coffee every year and we pay a lot or fair trade or shade grown or this or organic. It's not very easy to talk about, but it is part of our training curriculum in our cafes. And I think that's actually been something that's, it's very exciting to me to see how this has changed I feel that it's an easier elevator pitch with even with the template now, but it's taken years to get there. We actually put out a survey to our customers at one point too to ask them what they knew about the project, essentially, how familiar they were with it after being exposed to it for a couple of years. We tried all sorts of different things that even outside of the comic book, though I must say that the comic book has been one of the most effective tools at communicating this message. We had an art show focused on cost of production. We had the C market price posted on the window. We tried that for a little bit, which also prompted conversations too. But I think that at this point, I can say that there are customers who are coming to the shop because they've heard how we source or because they know more about it and and believe in it or and are excited about it. Even though they might not be able to explain to their friends. Well, you see, this is why coffee's in trouble. They understand that we are actually ensuring that cost of production is not only covered, we're looking at gross margin on those costs too. So they they can start yeah. to understand the prices that we pay. Yeah, that's a good point. And going back to something you said about like kind of all the jargon that goes around coffee, that's a little bit hard to explain, but it's understandable why it's used so often. Things like Shade grown, direct trade, fair trade. Like those are things that, you know, they're, they're, they're two word things. And it's like, is this direct trade? It's a way to 
try to at least find products that align with your values, but then to like explain the cost of production covered means this, and then this is how this goes. And it's hard, it's complicated, and it's not necessarily easy for consumers to digest. Yeah. And you folks being really honest about like all the different ways that you've tried to approach educating consumers about it in a way that doesn't feel like it's in your face. It's a way to like invite and evoke conversation is really cool and really powerful. Oh, thanks for saying so. I think that, you know, initially with the project, we were very focused on the consumer. Clinging onto this idea of more air quotes, like <laughs> that this notion of sustainable consumerism, the oxymoron that it is, that the consumer has the power to make these choices and decisions. And that's definitely, that's shifted over time. And that isn't to say that we aren't putting out the same materials that we were before, but definitely our focus on sharing this project, I think has shifted to roasters and green buyers. So with that being said, let's talk a little bit about the actual template that you recently released. So Basically, you made an open source document where any roaster can download this like really simple, like I have it actually up on my computer right now. It's a really simple Google document where you ask questions in partnership with the people that you source coffee from. So in partnership with the farmers or cooperatives that you're sourcing coffee from, where you're able to determine what their cost of production is. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the template and what was the idea for making this tool for other roasters to use? Yeah, the template idea started in twenty end of 2019, started putting together a template to pass off to other roasters. We didn't want to own this material. We wanted to get this project to into as many hands as possible. And it's great when someone buys a bag of cost of production covered coffee, but wow, what if we could get roasters to buy containers worth hundreds of bags of cost of production covered coffee that would have a bigger impact. Uh, so we wanted to get this project into the hands of other roasting companies and green coffee buyers. So I spoke at, it was the roast, this roast magazine event, this roast summit, in early 2020 about this upcoming template that we were putting out <laughs> and the pandemic definitely slowed things down in terms of the project and we have to we had to shift all of our focus on the business because this project it's something that we have to do in our spare time it's not making us money as a business this is something that is a a passion of ours and ultimately the entire mission of our company. So we we get to work on it when we can, but so we didn't get to focus as much on the project. I started digging back into the template at the end of 2020 realizing that this thing was massive. It's accompanied by a questionnaire and that questionnaire the responses are then plugged into a spreadsheet or a pro forma of sorts. But it was, it's, it was massive. It was hard to get, it was hard for us to even use, to be honest. And while it was very, very granular, very, very detailed, it was very time consuming for us and for producer partners and importer partners to, to use. So we took a few steps back and started rethinking things and wanted to make this a very, we wanted to make it very practical. For folks, so we pared down the question, the accompanying questionnaire, to six to eight questions, as opposed to 
30 to 50 questions. <laughs> in, the, in the past, it was so much back and forth with this questionnaire. Even though we had all this detail, we still had to clarify things. Emails back and forth, WhatsApp messages back and forth, Skype calls back and forth. And now we can get this information, geez, with just a few emails. It's pretty amazing to see how quickly it works now. I mean, the questions are as simple as, how much coffee do you sell in a harvest year? How much coffee do you sell as green coffee in pounds? Like really trying to get to like the nitty gritty of like how much coffee do you sell and can we use how, how much labor goes into producing that coffee and can we get like a price per pound that it costs to produce this coffee and you have some coffees that you've implemented this model with on your website and I was wondering if you could talk about what that looked like for you folks to implement this system and figure out for you like how much does this coffee cost to produce yeah. Well, before we had been, we first launched the project. I think the first copy we worked with was released in 2018. And that was with Andres Fossen, who owns Puchu, or at the time was Centro Tomas Puchu. And we were using the questionnaire with Andres and the spreadsheet, the 30 to 50 question questionnaire at first. We then started the project with another farm in Guatemala called Peña Blanca. We then started another project with a farm in Brazil called Sitiu Cana, another farm in Guatemala, and then a farm in Colombia. And we did this with this massive questionnaire and, and unruly spreadsheet. So we did this. We spent a lot of time in that back and forth. And now we're able to see that with this streamlined questionnaire, we can get some of the same data that the numbers are actually very similar compared with that that bigger spreadsheet, which has been so gratifying and gives me so much hope that this actually works. The kind of information that we're looking at now, we're still looking at harvest costs, land management costs, and we're also in this new spreadsheet where we have a uh, cells for gross margin as well so not only looking at that it's not necessarily a break-even point but we're not just looking at cost of production we want to see that people can actually see gross margin on those costs and we're able to get that with this new spreadsheet so i'm actually looking at one of the coffees that you have on your website right now it's from columbia produced by Jorge Rojas and you have like these really like in compelling details about about the coffee so mm -hmm. because we talk a lot about like how much a producer or how much a roaster pays for a coffee that could say like oh I pay three dollars per pound but that doesn't necessarily mean that the farmer got three dollars per pound and it doesn't mean that it covers their cost of production. So I'm on the website right now and I'm actually going to take a screenshot of this so that people can look at it when we release this episode but here in this chart, you show that the sea market price when you bought this coffee it was a dollar forty nine per pound. The cost to actually produce the coffee is a dollar thirty eight per pound. So that alone should tell you like what the sea market, how bad the sea market price is. Is that I think they would make what eleven, 
Yeah, eleven. It's, it's this. The sea market is eleven cents more than what it actually costs to produce that coffee. And again, that's not to say that the farmer even gets all of that money. But then you also have a price here where you say the farm gate price. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that farm gate price means, because as we were saying, a roaster can say we paid whatever amount of money for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the money that went to the farmer. Yeah, farm gate price. I think. Uh, it can mean different things to different people. I think that... Well, like how does... Yeah, how would you guys use it here on, on your website? We see it as the price that was actually received by the producer. The So, and to obtain that farm gate price, we need to ask the person who was... Who the producer sold their coffee to. So it's their the price that they received directly. And this is different in... If the producer is not paying their exporting costs or dry milling costs, a producer had an exporting license. Their farm gate would actually be FOB. So the price the importer paid the exporter. In that case, that could be the producer. But farm gate, so we're looking at the price actually received by the producer for their coffee. Um, so I'm looking at your website right now. This is a coffee that's available on your website right now. It's called El Hardin. And on there, it says that the farm gate price was three, $3.42 pound of green. So that is the actual amount of money that Jorge Rojas received for this coffee, correct? Correct. Yeah. Cool. And then at the bottom, right below that number, you also have the gross margin on the cost of production. So r- it's roughly about 60%. Yeah. The beautiful thing in this case, too, because we're producers that we've worked with in the past, we will ask what gross margin would they like to see? What gross margin would be healthy for their business? And most folks we talk with say 30% gross margin on those costs. In this case, the importer uh, that we work with, Shared Source, they more than covered 30% gross margin on those costs. So we didn't pay any additional premium on this we just realized just how amazing shared sources and the prices they pay michelle stoller was on the podcast before so if you want to learn a little bit more about how shared stores works and the way that they think about coffee sourcing you guys should go listen to that episode but shout out to shared source on the podcast (laughs) shout out to michelle stoller i think the prices that they pay are fantastic and we were able to we while we know that And honestly, we knew that once we started working with them, but now we can verify, right? Like we can all see here that the prices they pay are incredible for their coffees. Do you find that people are able to look at this and say, this makes sense? (laughs) I hope so. I think that honestly, after getting the template out, something I've, I've, I've been thinking about who this information is for on our website on anyone's website about transparency who are we putting this information out for i think in the past it was for consumers but you know again now i'm thinking more and more it's for roasters this is never it's been a hard thing to market pretty pretty impossible for us to market this but we do want to show that people saw gross margin on this purchase. That, and if to 
simplify it in a way that people, these businesses that we work with are actually profiting from the prices that we pay. And to actually dig into business profit there too, we would actually have to see how the rest of their business is working to see if their business is profitable because of this transaction, which is why we actually just say gross margin. So we're looking at the, their direct business costs. No matter how you cut it, it's a complicated thing to communicate quickly. That on the website for folks to look at FOB even and Farmgate, yeah, like how, what are they supposed to make of this? What we've seen over time is that roasters reference it and producers reference it too. They can look at right. and say, oh, wow, I can see that you actually care about being transparent and that, yes, you actually you pay prices that are reflective of our costs. I want to talk about that word transparency because that's, I think, coffee's favorite word like that and intentionality. One of the things that is really paramount to this template for you folks, from what I understand, is that this document is made in partnership with producers. So this isn't something that you folks are making and then like saying we're going to pay this much to producers. Like you're working in partnership with them so that those costs are transparent on both ends. And I think that there's something to be said about thinking about transparency from the perspective of all producers or all actors being opted in versus a roaster saying we're being transparent because we're telling you how much we paid. That doesn't talk about like all of the people who are kind of involved in the process. So I was wondering like for you folks, how did you think about collaboration and partnership and how did that relate to your kind of definition of transparency? Yeah, for us, we wanted the, context. I think that what we're hearing in the specialty industry is that we need to pay more for coffee because of 86 plus scoring, natural, gesha, this and this and that, or we need to pay more for coffee because we paid a lot for it. I think that for us, cost of production is the missing link. And for consumers too, and other buyers that it's the missing link. It's getting people to understand just why we need to be paying more for coffee. To work with producers, too, for us, it was important, I think, especially in the beginning, because we were learning about all of the different costs involved. Andres Fossen was crucial in building the questionnaire over the years. And, and helping us build this template because, you know, he was being very detailed about his costs and what it takes and what's missing. So we've added some things over the years and some, taken some things off of the questionnaire over the years. The context is different farm to farm. And I think in a very practical sense, that's why it's important to have this back and forth with producers. To get that kind of back and forth too, if, you don't, if you're not talking with producers directly, we're saying it's very important to work with importers that you know and trust and who have direct contact with farms or washing stations so that we can learn more about their context. And also then at the end of the day, say, hey, does this look right? Does this cost of pr production reflect your costs truly? And if so, we'll move forward. But only only then. Yeah, there's something to be said about 
I don't know. It, it feels maybe it's because I'm just having this like revelation as I'm talking to you, but there's something like a little itchy to me about saying, look at what we're doing. We're being transparent. We're paying this much for coffee, but it in no way involves the rest of the actors. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's something too about like having this open source document I don't know, kind of like radically like challenges that idea of like what transparency actually is cuz transparency isn't about like just saying all your shit out loud. It's about like actually working in partnership and being like this is why we did this stuff. These are the folks that are involved and everybody is going to tell you how they're affected by this thing. A good friend said to me once like any transparency is good transparency. I think that's can still be true, but context matters <laughs> context so matters if we say this farm gate was received by this producer and wow it's uh four dollars a pound that seems high when you i don't know maybe you're looking at other prices they've paid or another roasters farm gate prices that they paid but it doesn't mean anything unless we actually know what it costs the producer to produce that that high quote unquote high price might actually not be a sustainable price for that farm, for their business. I think that folks releasing this information out, I think that it's it's good, but we need to keep moving forward here. For us, this template too is we want it to be used by everyone. In fact, even saying on the website to take this and edit it and grow it and shape it to the relationships you're working with and working on. We see it as the minimum, this starting point for transparency. It is, it's surprising to see just how on board, or I don't know, it was surprising for me at least in the beginning to see just how on board importers are with this idea and actually how easy it can be to obtain this information. Yeah, it's like just about asking questions. And I think this goes back to kind of the theme of the cost of production covered project, which is that it's not just one thing. It's a thing that you folks have been working on for years. And this is just one nexus point, right? Like, it's not like, oh, we achieved a thing. It's like, no, we're continuously working on doing better, on finding new ways to improve a system. And like you were saying, like transparency isn't one fixed point. It's not like we said this thing, this is transparent. It's like, no, it's an ongoing continuous conversation. And again, that just speaks to kind of the theme of the cost of production covered project that you folks have been working on for so long. I think it's really easy to see a bunch of information and a bunch of data and get freaked out or overwhelmed or think, well, I can't understand this. I guess I'll take your word for it. I think that Really, what we want to have folks, roasters, importers to using this template, what we want them to do with it is show, talk, to talk about profit and talk about how they can ensure or at least get very close to a cost, to a, a price that means something. Before we started recording, we were talking about like who's going to talk about what. And then Karen at one point said that she was here to be kind of the talent manager, which I thought was really funny. And Karen, I was wondering for you as 
as as a person who's done a lot of the logistical stuff here, like what do you hope for? Right. So 2020, we had plans to hold an event where we would have a partner from each area of the supply stream at an event that we did. That was obviously postponed and that happened this year in Portland in April. And that event was so meaningful to me because we were hosting Andres Fossen at our home for the week and going to Expo with him. And we had our importer partner, Terra Negra, Christy, was here and Michelle from Shared Source was here. And Sal and Mary Lisa from Peña Blanca in Guatemala were also here. So it was so meaningful for us to be together. And I saw that as the pinnacle of this project because it was taking something that was on paper and had been in digital communications for so long and it was in person, right? We could actually hug each other for the first time and speak to a sold out event of 60 people in one of our cafes for the first time. Really the impetus for opening our second cafe inside of Pal's Books was to have an event like this. So to see it come to life was so important to us. And then to see the people who attended this event say, this makes sense to me. I just started a roasting company. I'm going to start doing it with my first coffee that I buy. That meant a lot to us. And I don't, yeah, I think we want to keep that energy up. But... It's going to take a lot more people to be involved at this point, right? And that's why it's open source. That's why we want to, we're talking with you right now. We need it to reach other people because we've seen the limits of what we can do with it too. Is there anything that you folks want people listening to this episode to know that we didn't cover or any topics that we glossed over that you want to end on? I think... For me, I would like to emphasize just how <laughs> I know no one's going to understand what it was like to use the previous questionnaire and template. For me, it is, it's been su such a breath of fresh air how easy it is to actually implement. So I think what I would like to share with Roasters, big and small, because I actually, walking around Expo, we got to talk with roasters of all different sizes, is that this is an easy place to start. And with this kind of tool, there is, I think that it instantly becomes something that we can, it's something that we should be basing our prices on. If we can get this kind of data, from producer partners that we value these relationships that there would be no reason to not use it. <laughs> That's what I would like to share. And we'll have a link to this on the Boss Barista transcript for this episode. And when we release more details about this episode, those will be available. So if you can't find it on the Boss Barista website, you can find it at juniorsroastedcoffee.com as well. And like Karen and Mike have said, this is open source. You can make your own copy. You can make this your own. You can do whatever you want with it. But thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Ashley, this has been so much fun. 
talking with you. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for supporting this over the years and sharing it with your listeners. That was Mike and Karen Nelson of Junior's Roasted Coffee and Gilder Cafe in Portland, Oregon. As I mentioned, there are a couple visual aids for this episode, links to the template itself, which you can find along with the full transcript at bossbarista.substack.com. And you can look at the template itself along with more information about the cost of production covered project at juniorsroastedcoffee.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week.